everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Buyer's Market Podcast. I'm joined by my special guest today, Mark Tomzevic. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Matthew? I'm excellent. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, Mark is probably one of our more distinguished guests we've had on the podcast. Uh, so let me go over that, and then I'm going to let Mark introduce a little bit about who his company is. Then we'll get into his story, which is is very compelling. I think a lot of people find it interesting. And then we'll end with uh, how he's leveraged digital channels for some uh, for some deal flow in our industry. So Mark uh, has a BA from UT in chemical engineering. He worked for ExxonMobil in mid and downstream. He exited ExxonMobil to pursue his Harvard MBA. He's now a principal at Energized Ventures. Energized Ventures partners with with entrepreneurs to digitize energy and industrial. So I didn't want to get too much into what Energized Adventures is because I wanted you to be able to explain that. So Mark, why don't you tell us more about Energize? Yeah, so we're a venture capital firm that invests in digital solutions for energy and sustainable industry. So if it is an analog industry like construction, manufacturing, the deployment of renewables, um, inspection of critical infrastructure, and there's a startup that's creating a digital solution to increase uh, efficiency in those industries or decrease carbon emissions, we invest in that intersection. So we're a venture capital firm. Uh, we have now four funds uh, across our firm. We're based in Chicago, although I'm based in Boston. Um, and we invest in startups that are creating digital solutions to really, uh, really digitize these, you know, traditionally analog industries. Awesome. And, uh, we we talked a little bit offline. You were recently on a panel at Wharton, which was a which is a neat listen, talking about how to finance some of these emerging markets. And um, one of the things that I picked up on that you said that I thought thought was very interesting. I think some people in this conversation will as well. It was you talked about how the barrier was always hard costs and hard costs in these renewable spaces. You mentioned hard costs in in solar and solar has come down almost ninety percent, and hard costs in wind and battery have come down almost seventy percent, which opens up more of that opportunity for the software component, which is what you focus on, and how previously people had thought that that wasn't a big enough industry, and now you're seeing that change, and you think there's a need for a focus on software. Is that correct? Yeah, what, what's really unique about the renewables industry right now is that um, historic, we, historically what has prevented the deployment of renewables has frankly just been the cost of the, the hardware itself. So the cost of the solar panels, the cost of the wind turbines, and in the industry, we refer to it as the levelized cost of energy. So it's the all-in cost to produce a specific megawatt of energy. And when you compare renewables in the past to other technologies like coal-fired power plants or gas-fired power plants, historically, renewables have been expensive. But what happened over the last 10 years is that the cost curves in renewables have dramatically declined. So like you said, solar by 90%, wind and batteries by 70%. And what's left now are the soft costs, which haven't really declined. And those soft costs are the cost of engineering, uh, procurement, finance, accounting, all of the things that are away from the job site um, that are done in uh, historically back office um, setting that can be automated with software. And so we're looking at uh, really reducing the overall cost of the project by reducing the cost of engineering or procurement or finance or accounting and reducing those soft costs through uh, primarily software investments. Awesome. I, uh, and I, I'd like to add a customer acquisition on that as a personal yep. plug for digitization. Uh, we, yep. we, we'll get to that more later, but uh, that's actually what turned me on to, to your content. So I'll, I'll get into how I came across your content later. First, I want to get into your story here. Um, 
But I think there are a lot of parallels for for what you're doing and some of the things we're talking about different. Like we're not talking about software solutions. We're talking about a different process. But I think there are some good similarities. Um, but before we get into that, you have an awesome story about how you were in the field for Exxon. And uh, you told me your story about, you know, some of the work you've done. Why don't you walk us through um, what did you do at Exxon and then what prompted you to go pursue your MBA? Yeah, um, so born and raised in Texas, uh, and so actually, you know, kind of grew up in basically an environment that was dominated by the, you know, traditional energy industry. So went to University of Texas, studied chemical engineering. Um, really, throughout my whole time at the university, I either researched, um, you know, essentially researched carbon capture through uh, a process um, that we were studying at the university. And then utilize that research to ultimately do some um, internships with with Exxon Mobil, and then eventually rolled on full time at Exxon. And so when I started, uh, I initially started actually in a, a program called Engineers and Operations. And what that program was, it was a six month program where I was put out in the field as a maintenance technician, uh, and I you know worked with the crew. So we repaired equipment, we um, did a lot of high voltage electrical work. Uh, whenever compressors would shut down, we would go in there and take apart the compressors and repair the equipment. Uh, I then transitioned into more of an operations role where I was helping operate the plant. And so whether that was, you know, fixing a sewage pump or um, climbing up on a, you know, a tower 300 feet in the air to uh, to look at some corrosion inspection or whatever it may be, uh, really spent about my first six months in the industry really getting ingrained in the nitty gritty of how these industrial facilities operate. Um, so after six months, I quote unquote graduated into your traditional engineering role, still at the same facility, which was up in Wyoming. Um, and so I uh, continued to, to work at that facility, but then working with the operations and maintenance groups, but I was in the engineering group, but it was it was extremely like invaluable because I had already formed those relationships by working with those individuals in the field. Um, spent about another year and a half up at that Wyoming facility, facility in the engineering capacity, uh, and then transitioned down to a small town called Beaumont, Texas, which is between Houston and Louisiana, to work on a chemical plant. Um, and at that chemical plant, I also was an engineer, but I was what was called a reactor engineer. And so we had several of these reactors around the plant, and my job was to keep it up and running 24 seven. Uh, did that role for about a year and a half, Again, got to see a completely different side of the business. And in the Wyoming facility, I saw more of the upstream and midstream side where you're actually getting the oil and gas out of the ground, uh, processing it and taking out some impurities and then sending it to what's called downstream and chemicals. And then in the Beaumont plant, I got to see the downstream and chemical side of the thing. So we were taking the uh, essentially the raw materials from the upstream and then we were processing them into usable chemicals um, that you know you interact with on a daily basis. And so then in Beaumont, um, spent about a year and a half down there operating that facility. By that point, had gotten you know very ingrained in the engineering and engineering supervisory work. Frankly, just wanted to learn more about the business side of things. Wanted to learn about how capital allocations are made. Wanted to learn about how venture investments were made. Um, so applied to a couple MBA programs, got into Harvard. Um, and yeah, I actually took a leave of absence from the company. Uh, it's an amazing company and, you know, they continue to support their workers very well. Um, so took a leave of absence to explore the business side of things. Uh, really explored investing um, while during my time at HBS. 
uh, did a quick stint in private equity uh, during during school up there in Boston, and then found Energized Ventures a little over two and a half years ago, uh, where now I'm a principal on the team. Awesome. Um, I I had heard in your previous one how you you had mentioned where you were looking at different opportunities, and you really like this one because it matched your business your business acumen that you were gaining at Harvard with your technical knowledge that you were in the field. And I just want to highlight that because. Um, I've had an odd amount, I've had an odd number of software people approach me because of my marketing background and because I'm in this construction space. And the reason why I'm so attractive to them is because they have no idea about the industry. And when you right. understand, when you start to like pull apart the business model and, and understand their assumptions, you're like, oh, wow, you really don't get this space at all. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's number one, I think it's awesome how you leveraged your experience like that. Number two, I think it's great how Energize saw the value in that and like, hey, listen, he he understands this and he's going to be a rock star and all this technical knowledge. And then he he's he's gaining the acumen for the financial piece. I, I think that's um, that's good um, vision on their part and also a way to leverage your skills on your part. So congrats. Yeah, my um, thank you. My uh, my phrase is it's more important to understand the customer than understand the code. And so <laughs> I think specifically in our industries, um, when you're looking at, I don't know, investing in a drone software, well, I can think about that drone software and I can say, okay, well, this software will automate drone flights across, you know, all sorts of critical infrastructure. Let's say it's pipelines or transmission infrastructure or whatever it may be. And then I can think back to my experience in the field and think, is this something that someone would actually use? And, you know, sometimes the answer is no. Or like sometimes I call up the folks, you know, that are within my network and in the industry. And the answer is like, no, we would never use that. And so just understanding the customer, I think, is just super impactful in these industries and, you know, ultimately leads to better investments. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it also makes you a, um, some valuable insight for some of the some of the entrepreneurs and founders that are trying to maybe have more of the technical knowledge and trying to understand the industry a little better. I'm, I'm sure you provide a nice bridge for that. Yeah, we so we really um, support our companies commercially. And so if a company is trying to commercialize in energy or critical infrastructure or renewables, um, what we do is we actually help them design their sales and marketing materials. And then we come up with a, a vertical specific sales strategy for them. And it's been extremely effective just, you know, being able to teach them, you know, the lingo of the industry, who exactly were the are the purchasers within those industries, um, how software is adopted within the industry broadly. Uh, we really take a hands-on commercial approach and, you know, it's been it's been pretty successful so far. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you uh, why, why don't you tell us a little bit more about um, what your your deal size, your average deal size looks like, what what opportunities you're currently whatever you can talk about, what you're currently invested in, what you hope to invest in and uh, for some entrepreneurs out there with some small businesses or some ideas, um, help them understand if they're a good fit or not. Yeah, so we invest series A through really pre-IPO. Um, and so what that means is a company has really built out their product for the most part. Um, and they're looking to now invest in sales and marketing materials to, um, or sales and marketing functions to really increase their go-to-market motion. So typically we look for a company that has, yeah, for the most part, built out their product, has a handful of customers, um, maybe about a million dollars in recurring revenue, uh, and then we come in and help them go from, you know, a million to 20, 30, you know, 50 million plus. Um, what that means is, yeah, typically there will venture investments, which are minority investments, series A through C out of our ventures funds, and then D through pre-IPO out of our growth funds. 
typical check size on the low end is an $8 million check. Um, on the high end is somewhere around 50 to 60. Uh, and then, yeah, and, and you know, we have about 750 million in AUM across four funds. Uh, so far, that number will probably, you know, increase uh, most likely significantly by the end of this year as we continue to build out our own team. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're looking for, you know, primarily software companies right now um, that are looking to commercialize in our industries. Nice. Um, what are what are some uh, what are some problems that you're currently solving in the industry? If you can talk about that, if you can re if you can reference the company, go ahead and give them a shout out. If you're not comfortable, that's okay too. But just help people understand what the problems your companies are solving for now. Yeah, I think um, I think a good uh, kind of example of one of our software investments that specifically go after the soft costs is the company called Aurora Solar. Um, and what Aurora does is it uses satellite imagery and LIDAR to help solar installers design solar panels on residential houses. So historically, uh, what has occurred in the solar industry is what a solar installer would do is they'd go up to a house, they'd knock on the door, they'd say, do you want solar? The homeowner would reply like, well, I, I don't know, what are the economics? What does it look like on my roof? Um, what's the payback period? So what they would do is the solar installer would historically climb up onto the roof, take measurements, um, and then bring those measurements back to the office, do the engineering, do all the financial calculations, and then bring it back to the uh, homeowner, knock on their door again and say, this is what it would look like. What Aurora does is now um, they can automate that engineering and design through software. So the first time a solar installer knocks on their door, they can hold up an iPad and they can say, do you want solar? And the person would say, I don't know, what does it look like? And they'd say, well, in fact, we actually have it on an iPad right here where you can see the exact economics, what it looks like on your roof, uh, where to put the solar panels. Um, and it really just streamlines that sale. So that's, a, a, I think, a, you know, a pretty key example of kind of how our portfolio operates, where we're using software to kind of streamline some of these sales and engineering processes in the industry. Um, Another example might be a company called Drone Deploy. So mm -hmm. Drone Deploy is, they're not the drones, but they're software that can autonomously fly drones. So if I'm a uh, infrastructure company or if I'm a construction company and I wanna do drone flights around my, um, you know, around my construction project or around my uh, facility, well then I can map out that drone flight on the Drone Deploy software. I can click a button and the software will autonomously fly the drones to take the photos and then you can actually analyze those photos um, and, and draw on them and take measurements and do whatever you want within the drone deploy software. So we're looking at the software layer um, and I think those are two good examples of, of kind of how that fits into critical infrastructure. Yeah, those are two really good examples. Um, the first one, especially, you remove so much friction in the buying process. Yeah. It's like, uh -huh. and that's something we talk about a lot, right? It's you know, when when you when they have when they have legitimate questions and you can't answer them, you're you're sick in your process. And uh, what what your uh, what your investment has created is a, a really neat way to be able to solve for that and hopefully get to yes quicker, right? Yeah, I would say if <clears throat> when we're looking at venture capital investments um, into these software companies. If we find a software company that helps increase the revenue or the top line of their customers, so for example, Aurora helps the solar installers sell more solar, that's just like an incredibly valuable um, value prop and it just makes the sale, you know, much easier and, and so much less friction. 
Yeah. The the drone one's interesting too because I I don't know what obviously I don't know what the company strategy is, but with my experience in the field, I can see how you can essentially uh, if if you have that skill set and if you can program the drone remotely or if a project manager or a superintendent can be able to can be able to program that drone, you can have the asset and you don't have to necessarily have a team of drone pilots that follow that asset to be able to get all that imagery. So that's also super neat. Yeah, yeah, and we're we're even seeing companies um, more on the energy side want to uh, get rid of scaffolding in their facilities, mm-hmm. and so you know scaffolding can add up, um, especially if you just have it sitting there, you know, and not utilized for you know months on end. So if you can uh, eliminate scaffolding in your facilities uh, by flying a drone instead, that's it's just you know super mm-hmm. valuable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, you have the scaffolding cost. You also have all the risk of putting the scaffolding up. And if that yep. scaffolding isn't up, you're probably using a sky climber, which is an even more risky endeavor you're putting your employees in. So I didn't yeah. think about that use case. That's really neat. That's that's cool. That's a, that's one that I think a lot of people uh, that listen to this and watch these clips will uh, will relate to. So thank you for that story. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so before we pivot to how we how I came across you and your content, is there anything else you want to say about Energized Venture? Anything you want to leave our um, our guests with? Um, I would just say so. Uh, we are actively investing in construction tech platforms. Um, so our our most recent investment, which will be announced uh, later, probably in the next two three weeks, uh, is an investment that helps material suppliers and subcontractors manage their lien rights and manage uh, you know various aspects of payment compliance within those organizations. Um, so that has been our most recent investment. It is more on the the fintech credit side of things. Uh, ultimately, it will become you know the the central hub for construction e-commerce. And so we are actively um, we are actively looking into investments in the construction space and uh, and yeah, we started with the payment compliance, uh, credit accounts receivable side of things, because obviously, as you know, um, getting paid in construction is, you know, is a, a part of the job, which, you know, everyone, everyone is always hoping to reduce their days, day sales outstanding and, you know, kind of reduce that, uh, that cash conversion cycle. Yeah, and the uh, have automating the lean process is is uh, is a really good way to be able to do that. You're you're probably a little less concerned about negotiating that last milestone payment when the customer's holding it over your head because you have a you now have a mechanism as well. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, the some of those lean processes are so complicated, and they're state by state, and you know, there's always different um, you know legal requirements and different forms and different uh, components of that process. And so, yeah, having a software solution to to help automate that, um, we've seen has been really impactful. Yeah, I, I can imagine um, because I, I've I've been fortunate to work for larger companies, and so we, you know, team of lawyers, right? So you you typically have that stuff taken care of. But I can see, you know, smaller contractors, subcontractors, people that don't ha- that aren't GCs and don't have a main part of the scope. I would suspect they don't have that type of protection and are more at risk to customers' whims on payments versus a large company that has the buying power and also probably has those contractual protections to begin with. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's protecting, um, you know, the, the small folks, um, you know, it's, it's protecting their livelihoods really, um, yeah. and, and helping them get paid. Uh, but I mean, fortunately this company is actually operating with a lot of the, the large material suppliers. Hmm. Um, yeah. So some of the world's largest material suppliers, uh, are also using them. So, I think overall, it's just better to remove friction throughout the whole construction value chain and just to, you know, 
improve the the efficiency of the draw process and then just get the money flowing down flowing yeah. down faster and there i i'm i'm encouraged again that people like you are are entering this part because my experience with some of the tech vendors previously like i said were just a little bit off but if you're in the field in construction you can see there's all kinds of opportunities um eight seven or eight years ago i was still running construction projects and just to put it in perspective of just how manual some of the processes were and every company wasn't like this but the one i was in was still and they weren't unique um, in order to do payroll, we would collect brass tags like you were in a mine. So the employees walk through the scan gate, and unless the customer had some sort of accounting software that got them at the gate, which usually wasn't the case, because it's difficult to coordinate times at the gate because it's different than your actual work time. Okay. And so you'd have to pick up the brass, and then you have to drop off the brass. And so a person would collect and count all that stuff on a shiftly on per shift basis. Wow. And yeah, right. So there's so many opportunities. And so, uh, like I said, I'm encouraged to hear that people like you are entering this space and helping because not that not that tech people aren't well intentioned, but I haven't met a ton of them that take the time to really understand what we do and put themselves in the field shoes. They always want to be a few layers removed and well someone told me that someone told them that this is a problem <laughs> yep yep and we're trying to bridge that gap right like we're trying to you know take industry expertise you know and and apply it to you know yeah historically analog industries like construction nice well i wish you much success and can't wait to see some of your products in the field um now i want to transition to how we first met and uh and also i think this this will also benefit uh, some of the entrepreneurs that are are thinking about that commercial help you're talking about the sales and marketing help so i actually first became aware of mark from twitter which i'm not that active on twitter i've attempted to be more active on twitter not from a posting standpoint but a consumption standpoint and so I came across him as one of the few people I was able to find that were doing stuff around energy. He posts some really uh, compelling images and he does a good job of some of them are just images, but some of them are processes and explaining like, hey, here's what's happening here. And uh, I've seen a lot of traffic from that. And uh, so, Mark, why don't you tell us why did you start doing that and uh, what, what, were, what were some of the initial benefits that kept you going? Yeah, the way um, the way it all started was. I kind of looked at, you know, energy and critical infrastructure and construction as a whole. And I thought this is like a just a, an area of of life that is so important on a daily basis, but there it's very opaque and I, not a lot of folks actually know, like, for example, when they turn the lights on at home, where does that energy come from? Or like, how does that energy, you know, get from wherever it may be um, to my door? Or, you know, or for, for example, like if I'm driving on a road, like what went into creating that road? Um, and so I just thought that there was like a huge gap, um, a huge white space in what I called energy IQ. And so I started creating these originally these diagrams that kind of broke down. Um, OK, for instance, like if you turn the lights on at home and that those, you know, that that electricity came from a. I don't know, call it a natural gas fired power plant. Well, this is how a power plant, you know, creates electricity. And then this is how the electricity is transmitted to your home. And so initially kind of started using Twitter um, as a way to to create these diagrams to uh, really improve just broadly energy IQ across some of my um, some of my followers and then have started to expand uh, from those diagrams into just broadly, you know, pictures of the energy industry or pictures of critical infrastructure um, that are not very well known. So I think maybe a good example is like 
installing a wind turbine. So there's so much rebar at the base of a wind turbine, and it looks like this incredible like web structure um, because these things are, you know, they require, I think it's like two to 300 tons of concrete per wind turbine. And so there has to be so much um, reinforcement of that structure. And just like these, these very small nuanced things that go into our critical infrastructure that we don't really understand um, until we see the pictures from the field. So I've just kind of been using my um, my Twitter to really, you know, unlock like this is what actually happens in the field and this is how you get, you know, your energy or this is how you get your uh, bridges construction constructed or this is how you get, um, you know, maybe like things like chemicals or, or other things like that that we interact with on a daily basis. Um, the return on investment on Twitter has been like surprisingly good. Um, so yeah, I've I've you know used Twitter to to you know talk with with companies. Um, actually, was just in in New York last week uh, speaking with a, a startup. Um, you know, in the in the software space that you know I met with via Twitter. Uh, other things, for example, um, are are other co-investors. Uh, so some of the you know the world's best software investors I've connected with and just had you know chats via DM over Twitter. Um, and then there's even folks that want to invest in us uh, that you know that have reached out to me over Twitter and said, "Hey, I really like what you're doing at Energize. Is there any way that you know that we could get involved or that we could partner with Energize?" Um, so it's just been a, a really like surprisingly good uh, return on investment, um, just unlocking you know what actually happens in the field and kind of showing the world, "Hey, this is how things really get done out in the field." Yeah. Um... <clears throat> And I, I don't know if you were intending to do this because it sounded like you were intending to do it more of just like, hey, let's 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 broaden people's knowledge. But I can see why you're attracting so many people because you're consistently demonstrating how you are a thought leader in this space, even though you're not connected to every one of these industries. You have such a knowledge of most of them and the stuff that you post. I'm sure if you're an invest, if you're if I'm one of your peers and I don't have that experience, I'm like, I want to work with Mark because he understands things I don't understand. Uh, so I can see how that would drive a lot of people to you. Do you think that has been part of it or do you think it's just, hey, I put stuff out there and people know about me. So they come to me. What do you, what do you think drives that? No, I mean, I the the way that I initially got my content was I thought, like, what have I done in the field? Like what what did I do in the field that, you know, I think not very many people know about. And then can I, you know, can I share a photo of what I've personally done? Um, and I think there's frankly, I, I actually still think that there's a big white space uh, in venture capital for people that actually understand these industries. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't think my background is like is very uh, common in the venture capital landscape. Like how many, you know, Field engineers from Exxon are, you know, are working venture capital. I, I don't know, I don't think I know a, a single one. Um, and so, like, yeah, I think it, it it goes back to like, you know, understanding the customer is more important than understanding the code. And you know, the fact that I've just the, the way that I come up with my content is I frankly just think about like, what have I done in the field that like, maybe it's common to me, but like, you know, probably if I put it out there, most people. You know, wouldn't originally have thought that's how things get done. Yeah, that it's it's so interesting the way you've approached it too, because you're you've you've get, you've garnered general popularity from people I think that just consume the imagery and understanding, but then you're also getting that other smaller percentage of people that you could actually work with while you're educating the masses. So um, 
Yeah, bravo, man. It's uh, it's it's been fun following you too. Uh, I I uh, I always I, I see your imagery, and I whenever I see something, I like one of your posts. And uh, it's it. There's some things I'm in the industry, and some of it's been informative to me too. That's that's really what that's what turned me onto you versus other people I see posting things because some people I feel like just grab images and post images and some of them are compelling, but they don't, there's not much behind it versus like what you would see in a typical image description. And that's where I think you take it to the next level. And um, I think that would speak to a lot of people that are in this industry. Um, you just think as content is neat. Um, are you, uh, are you active on any other channels? Do you do anything on, uh, I don't see you post as much on LinkedIn. Do you have any consideration of doing that? Yeah, I uh, I need to do a better job of that. Um, I've started on Instagram because, you know, Instagram can be a very visual platform. Um, and a lot of my posts are pictures and videos. Um, I need to I need to be a little bit more active on Instagram, uh, but I do have a day job. So I haven't you know, I haven't been able to uh, to grow that as well. Um, and then LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn is where I mainly post things like uh, recent deals that we've done. Uh, I try I try to keep all the photos and images and um you know and like the industrial learnings actually to twitter i think i can probably do a little bit more on linkedin but linkedin i've kept mainly to like the deals that we've done um you know some initiatives of our startups uh th things that are just more on the on the venture capital side of things i, I would say i keep more on linkedin yeah Makes sense. We'll have to talk offline. I, I want to challenge that i that idea a little bit but i don't that's that's for you and i to talk about after this um so I want to I want to uh, I want to get into a little bit more um, just uh, any ancillary benefits that you weren't expecting. So the reason why I'm drilling in on this is, you know, we work with people in this space and uh, one of the one of the successful strategies executed is thought leadership. Right. It's connecting those people, not only getting the company brand awareness out there, but connecting with the actual individuals that, you know, have this knowledge. And that's been very successful, but there's a reluctance from quite a few people to put their knowledge out there. And even if they're willing to put their knowledge out there, there's another reluctance where, you know, I don't really want to say anything that might offend people or I don't want to take a position. And it's uh, to me, that's not the right approach. You need to you need to actually broadcast your knowledge if you want more than just your inner circle to understand it. And uh, I think you probably experienced this on Twitter. There are trolls in every social space and they just look yep. for anything anyways. And so if you're turned off by that, you're going to be in a rut too. So can you yep. speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately I can, you know, I can post like, like the sky is blue and someone will come back and say like, you know, actually it's indigo or whatever. <laughs> and like people love to find like the people love to like nitpick um, things. And especially because my posts are very technical, I try to like keep them high level and broad enough where, you know, one, it's interesting. And then two, you can walk away saying like, oh, I, I learned something, you know, whether even if it's like a small thing, oh, I learned something from that post. Um, a lot of folks like to uh, take it and go like incredibly technical. And so if I said something like, like, I don't know. Yeah, like the like the sky is blue, then they would break it down into, you know, I, I don't know, all the different, you know, colors that the sky can be given any certain condition or, uh, you know, any certain time of day. Um, and it's just, yeah, yeah you, you just can't. I mean, you just can't. I don't know. You can't worry about those those people. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, it's. I, I think for the most part, people uh, broadly get what I'm trying to do um, and appreciate it. And I think, you know, it's helped get our brand out there. Um, and I think it's just broadly the the positives have significantly outweighed the negatives. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to wrap this here in a second. It's been a great interview. Really appreciate your time. Um, I want to encourage people on a couple of things before I turn it over to Mark. And uh, when I turn it over to you to end, I'm going to ask you, what's your most impactful routine or habit? That's one we end it with. So I'll give you a little time to think about that before I put you on the spot. Um, anyone that's listening to this, I want to encourage you. We'll put um, links to Energize Ventures. We'll put links to Mark. Feel free to connect with him. I'd also encourage people because I consume his content. I know a lot of people in this industry and a lot of people I'm connected with have compelling imagery from being in the field, from being at sites. If you have cool imagery, send them to Mark. He'll do a good job of getting that stuff out there. He'll do a good job of using it and representing you well. Um, so that 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 cool imagery that you have on your computer, that you have from your construction project, send it, send it Mark's way so he can let Twitter know about what we're doing here in this space. Um, also, if you're an entrepreneur, you have a business, um, can't think of a better fund to reach out to uh, one that has someone like Mark in it that can actually help you and help has ex industry experience where they can relate to things you've been to. So uh, once again, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we wrap up, tell us what is your most impactful routine or habit? Yeah, um, so I started this probably, I mean, probably 10 years ago. So I, I really like like checking things off my checklist. And so, and I really like doing that actually on a paper calendar. Um, and so, you know, I, I have my work calendar, obviously that's on my phone and on, you know, on my outlook at work. Um, but the work calendar like often conflicts with my personal calendar and, and then my partner's calendar is, you know, completely different. Um, and so I think having a paper calendar, which I literally have on my desk that shows the whole month and it shows the different things that I need to do each day. And then I can just literally look forward, um, you know, that week or that month and check things off. Um, I think what's been really impactful is I look at that calendar specifically every Sunday night and plan out kind of how the week is going to go and then broadly how the month is going to look, whether I'm traveling that month or whether I'm, you know, uh, in the area or what are the, the various things I need to do. So just physically having like a paper calendar that sits on my desk that can give me kind of like the satisfaction of, of physically checking something off um, and then understanding, you know, what's what's occurring that week or that month or where do I need to be that week or that month. Um, it's just been super impactful for me. And and I don't even though I'm a, a big fan of, you know, like mobile mobile first, like I'm a software investor in the end of the day, uh, I just love having a paper calendar to check things off of. That I'm uh, I'm similar and I've got I've vacillated, though, because what I what I get into personally is I'll be traveling. And so I'll end up with things in different spots and I haven't got into a strong enough routine yet where I where I reconcile everything in, at a consistent time. So I don't miss things. Yeah. 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 I I don't know what it is, but I mean, I love checking things off and um, I just love the little, you know, the little squares where I can look and, and see across the whole, you know, whole week or whole month. Yeah. And that's and that's actually multiple habits, right? The fact that you plan out your day and the fact that you look at what you did the week before and look at what the week coming ahead, that's a whole process in itself that I think uh, all of us can glean from. And even if you do it like I sheepishly hold my hand up, I could definitely do a lot better at it. So uh, that's how you become uh, that's how you become an, uh, an engineer at Exxon and then go to Harvard and get your MBA and get into venture capital. You better plan your weeks, plan your day and uh, check things off. Uh, with that, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. It was a lot of fun. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed this, and we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thanks, Matt.